So I figured Sean isn't here so we could talk about baseball. Oh, sure. Yeah, what do you want to talk about? Happy second half of baseball to you. Thank you. Happy second half of baseball to you and your first, still first place? Second. Second place. Oh, unfortunate. Dropped on the very last, very last day of the first half of the season. It's games you lost to the last place Red Sox, sir. <laughs> they, really. they did. Those two hurt. If it wasn't for those two, then, uh, then we would have been, we would have still been a game and a half up. I'm looking at the standings right now. I feel like I saw standings recently, and as bad as the Red Sox are, they're actually not that far out in the American League East. No, but, and not that far down off out of six out of uh, five hundred, right? So like, yeah, like four, four games, four off games or something. Or something. Yeah, something like that. I've been paying that much attention, but yeah, just because they're painful to watch right now. <laughs> sure. So um, <laughs> my 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 aunt or my aunt has tickets to the Sox. Astros game because we've got another series with y'all coming up next week I think and so they're playing in Houston my my aunt's in Houston so she texted my dad hey does anyone want a ticket I have take extra tickets to the Red Sox Astros game if anyone wants them and my dad then forwarded it to me just to taunt me it's like that's not cool man because <laughs> <laughs> you won't be here right unfortunate yeah um I was I had another baseball point to make it was a really good one. <laughs> Just pretend I made something really sure. smart about baseball. Yeah. All right. This is a show. Hi, Gordon. <laughs> hey, what's up? <laughs> uh, Sean's out this week, as you can tell. Um, he's on vacation. So we're joined by Gordon, who is our iOS d- development director. Is that your new title? Mm-hmm. Congratulations. Yeah, it is. We thought we'd have some good conversation around, there's been a lot of API talk. So uh, at ThoughtBot, as you can imagine, we do a lot of Rails API development, and then our mobile team gets involved quite a bit to make mm-hmm. APIs off of, make or to consume those APIs for iOS apps. A typical, I, I feel like I haven't been involved in one of these projects here, but I have been involved in projects elsewhere where people were consuming an API developed. And... The way that has typically gone is like, oh, you need a you need a post. Okay, here's a here's a JSON response with an object. It's a post with all right. the fields. And then right, they're right, like, right. okay, uh, uh, now this thing has comments. I need comments. And you're like, ah, okay, <laughs> now it has a comments field, and I I rendered the comments in line too. Okay, cool. They're like, all right, well now I need a, an index of all the posts. You're like, right. Okay, well that's a lot of data if I include those comments, but okay, I'll I'll just do that. And then they're like, oh, well, what happens if I get an error? Where do you put the error message? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, uh, okay, what am I gonna do? So there's a lot of like thinking that goes back and forth, and this is just something we do, right? I mean, I'm sure you've done this many times back and forth with. Yep. So along comes this thing called JSON API, which is a horrible name because horrible. It just makes these entire conversations so much harder because you have to like talk about JSON API, the spec, and a API that returns JSON. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, it's genius on their part. They're squatting on like right, right. Google for JSON APIs, and you're like, well, this is how you do it. Like, right. Clearly, I have to follow this specification right. that's here. Right. So it's just the the idea was it's a specification for how to return this data, so you can stop having these these uh, discussions. Mm-hmm. And I think like on their homepage, it actually says it is like an anti bike shedding um, thing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, do you reference Tom in your show? Tom's booing at the anti-bike shedding. <laughs> he's not often here. He just, you know, he's know. entertained by our conversation. <laughs> so what it does is basically tells you, like, oh, you're going to return your primary data in this data key, and then uh, you're going to have some links, and that's going to be in a links key, and you're going to have some meta. You might have some metadata, and that'll be in the meta mm-hmm. key. 
Uh, and if you've got associations, what you're going to do is uh, embed the IDs for those things in the actual data, and then you're going to have this included tag, which actually includes the IDs. Right. The idea being that like that's going to deduplicate. Like if you have <clears throat> the same person associated to five items that you're returning, you don't have that person embedded five times. Right. You load that person once. You look them up by ID in the response. Right. And it also solves like recursive or circular references. Right. So like if a post has a reference to a comment, but then that comment also has a reference to its post. You can't nest that reasonably because it would just be post comment, post comment, post comment, right till infinity. So this breaks that chain, and right. And it also like eliminates having like another another thing would be like oh we'll just put the IDs there and you make another HTTP request to get the actual things mm-hmm. you want. So HTTP requests have overhead things like that. So it elim- eliminates all those things. So all these things to me sound interesting. Like the first time I looked at. JSON API just went 1.0 at like the end of May, but they've been working on it for a while. And I've been kind of like keeping an eye on it, never really using it, but just keeping an eye on what does a JSON API response look like. And I feel right. like it's changed quite a bit since they've been working on it. But when you look at JSONAPI.org and they have like the example response, you're like, wow, this is a lot of data to describe yeah. what's going on here. But it, it seems to make sense like once you're like, okay, everything's in a data key because they want to like have control over what's available at the top level or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So... The conversations we've been having now that this has reached 1.0 and Ember has decided like we're going to move forward with JSON API so they have good they're developing good out of the box support for JSON API and you guys are working on an iPhone app for one of our clients or <laughs> we're working on an iPhone yeah. app for one of our clients and wanted to consume JSON API is that mm-hmm. right Yeah with the idea being that like okay now there's a spec for it so we can develop something in Swift that will be a library that will be a general purpose like here's how you consume uh, JSON API yeah. with Swift, just like with em- Ember's doing with here's how you consume JSON API with Ember. Right, exactly. And how'd that go? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we already have, um, we wrote a um, JSON parsing library in Swift already called Argo that's um, heavily functional. Uh, it's really inspired. It's basically like a wholesale ripoff of ASON, which is a, a, a JSON parsing library in Haskell. Right, so we basically ripped off ASON and turned it into Argo and Swift. And so when we got into this, we we're like, okay, well, let's build something light on top of Argo, like use Argo as a dependency, write something on top of that, and it just got way out of hand really, really fast. It's really hard to so it gets to the kind of moving from a loosely typed data structure, basically like JSON, to a Swift, which is strictly typed. It's strict. It's strict type. So like, right. there's almost no dynamic anything in it. There's like no metaprogramming. There's no dynamically creating types based right. on from strings and anything like that. Nothing. None of that is built into the language. Right. So like in Ruby, we can look at a response and it, and the first thing in, inside the data key says type posts, and I right. can look at that and be like, oh, well, I need to turn this string posts into the post object right. and instantiate one of right. those. You can't do that at runtime in a strictly typed language, or it's more we difficult have, to do? Well, we, I mean, we have ways of doing that, but kind of the root of the issue is that the way to make it easy to consume JSON, especially JSON formatted like this, means that we have to make concessions in our model objects, right? So, like, in Swift, our preference, like, just kind of ThoughtBot iOS's preference for the way we create model objects is we want... Um, immutable value objects, right? We want to create structs. We want everything to be constants. That means that everything has to be provided at the time of instantiation, and that's it. 
we don't want to inherit which you can't do with structs and swift but we don't want to like inherit from like ns object which is provided by foundation in coco which would mean that it's open for it's basically an objective c object that you're viewing in swift gets in a weird interop stuff that i probably don't need to go into <laughs> but but basically like we don't want objective c objects in swift we want pure swift objects wherever possible it's just easier to reason about and we like it more so if you start making concessions around that stuff and if you start inheriting from NS object, opening yourself up to the Objective-C runtime, making things mutable, Swift has the concept of optionals, which I think I, I'm not I'm like halfway through your episode from last week on Rust. Mm-hmm. Swift is very, very, very much like Rust. It was heavily inspired by Rust. So a lot of the stuff I was listening to the episode on Rust going like, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds super familiar. Mm-hmm. Um do you guys talk about optional yeah, we stuff? Yeah, yep. Okay, so Swift has that same concept, right, mm-hmm. of optional. Same thing as maybe in Haskell. There are libraries out there. There's one called Spine mm-hmm. that does JSON API stuff. But everything in your system then has to be, like I said, it has to be an Objective-C object. So it has to inherit from NS object. It has to be completely mutable. And every property on your object has to be optional because it, it's not going to be... Cr- like assigned at the time of instantiation, it's going to be assigned later on. It's miserable. Like that's not. So why why does it have to be an, an why does it have to be an, an Objective C NS object? Because once you open yourself up to the Objective C runtime, there's all this stuff in the Objective C runtime um, where Objective C is a much much more dynamic language. Mm-hmm. It's still got a type system, big scary quotes around type <laughs> system there, but like it's still got a type system to some extent. But it's much more dynamic. So you can do things. There's like methods like set value for key, right? Where you just hand it any value and any string key, and it'll just force that value into a property with that string name. So you can do things like this using those mechanisms in the Objective-C runtime if you make these concessions about your object. But then throughout the rest of your system, you lose all the benefits of having a mutable object. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And... By creating a class instead of a struct, there's, like, memory management implications there, right? Like, classes are reference objects. So they have, you know, they have reference counters, and they are owned by objects, and you can get into memory leaks with them. Structs are value objects, and they're passed by copy, not passed by reference. So you're never worried about mutating. You know, there's no mutable state there. There's no shared state. It's just copying things around all over your system. So it felt... it keeps feeling weird for us to try to make these like that the format of the json the json api that we're hitting would dictate memory semantics Mm. inside our own app you know what i mean and would dictate like large architecture decisions basically is what it boils down to like we'd have to make large architecture decisions specifically because oh well this is a json api app so we have to do all this wacky would there be some sort of way to like firewall off the parts that are like Maybe, using this crazy behavior and maybe like you could you you could set up like a whole system where it parses to intermediary objects right. and then you take those and you turn those into your actual objects which is <laughs> honestly it's kind of a position we're already in where our normal workflows like we parse it into these structs these swift structs but you can't really save swift structs to disk or persist them at all so then we'd have to pass them off to like an intermediary object on the 
persistence side of things to like write them to disk or to save them in core data or anything like that. So th- is this all just basically caused by the fact that that data key we spoke of before, which is like the top level, here's all the data you're getting for this request, has a type key inside the has a type key inside that object that we can manage because we just completely ignore it is what it boils down to the the real problem is how do you wait how do you completely ignore it and then know what kind of object you're creating because we know what you know what endpoint end you point hit? we hit okay. and so we write custom parsers that right pull just what we need but that kind of i mean i mean i guess that's the that's because you're in a strictly type language right so yes. if you're in a, in javascript or ruby you're like well, i can just do this at runtime so yep. you don't, you don't exactly exactly but be, there's no way around this problem if you're in a strongly or not a good way around this no good way right 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 so okay. so we so say you're just saying i know i'm hitting this endpoint so i know i'm gonna get i mean, know i'm gonna get posts back exactly. inside this data key. exactly so i write a custom parser that works with this specific endpoint and then i mm-hmm. kind of go in my way um argo has some stuff built in where you can just pass like if you were just getting a fairly straightforward json representation with straightforward keys like no root key and then just like a json object even with references but as long as they're like nested references Mm -hmm. then there's like a top level like a free function called decode that we provide where you can just pass data into it and tell it what you expect to get out and it'll just give it to you or won't depending like it does a lot of there's a lot of magic that it can do with the type system to try to decode these things but the problem with JSON API, and it's not even a problem with JSON API specifically. The problem is side-loaded JSON. That's where we get into problems. So that's that included tag. Right. Basically. Right. Okay. And, like, I understand the benefits of why you'd want to do this, right? It's everything mm-hmm. you said earlier. It's, like, circular references or, or recursive references or duplicated references. That all goes away with side-loaded objects which is i don't even know if that's the right term for it that's what we keep saying that's like, that was the original term for it i think okay. nowhere in this document do i do in the document in the specification for it do i see the term side loaded anymore so maybe they just got rid of it it's called yeah. included now i don't know mm-hmm. but side loaded is what originally people were calling it so. yeah whatever that's what makes sense <laughs> in my head right <laughs> right but so we'd uh having having the having json objects side loaded like this causes problems for that reason that i s- stated earlier which is that when we create an object Everything needs to be there at the time of instantiation. So if I get a bunch of posts and those posts each have, well, let's go the other way. If I have a bunch of comments, if I just fetch comments Mm -hmm. and each comment has a post, well, then I need to parse the posts and then parse the comments and figure out what post belongs to what comment and then hook them up together. But I have to do that before I can actually create the comment. Right. So you can't create, so like in the Ruby way we would do this is like iterate over the main data that we get back, which is the list of comments, create a bunch of comment objects mm-hmm. and be like, oh, look, we've got included stuff here. Let's uh, instantiate some posts and shove them onto the comment. Right. <laughs> so we can't, we, we can kind of do that. So you can get into like re- weird, wacky functional stuff, which is how we solved this in the app that we were working on, right? Where we, you'd fetch a, a company. Mm-hmm go with that metaphor right so you fetch a you fetch a company company have people right so the yep. people are sideloaded well when you fetch one single company it's very very easy you fetch one company and there's the only things that are included are the people that belong to that company right. so what we were doing is instead of decoding the entire object we were using partial application 
and our decode function for the company, instead of returning a finished company, yeah. it would return a function that took a list of users and that returned a company. Very nice. <laughs> it was bizarre. Sounds it, nice. It sounds. It yeah, makes sense, though. Yeah, yeah, like yeah it. it does. It shouldn't have compiled. Like, I'm <laughs> kind of terrified. Like, Why not? It sounds totally fine. Because of the way the type system should have worked. Like, the function signature, like, the function itself, sh- I'm not surprised that it compiled at all. I'm surprised because we're conforming to this decodable protocol that we specify in Argo, and that shouldn't have satisfied okay. the type constraints for the decodable protocol. That's what it boils down to. And so Tony showed me this. I was like, that's a worrisome. <laughs> like, like, that's awesome, but it's, I'm also a little terrified that that compiled. <laughs> like, it kind of shouldn't have. Um, but that ended up being really nice. So what we do is you, you parse out all the people, mm-hmm. and then you start parsing the company, company, and then you partially apply them the people in. Uh, you just pump, put them in at the end of this chain. And it worked really well. Mm-hmm. The problem would be if we get a bunch of companies and each one of those companies has people. Has a different has different sets of the people. Yes. In, so now I can't just do this bulk, like, get me, give me all the people and then just throw them in. Now I have to do some sort of filtering, which you could do, but it just it immediately, like, gets more complicated. Because then I'd end up getting, like, an array of those functions back. And then I'd have to keep some references to, like, okay, well, this function is expecting these users and this function needs these users so i'd like map through those functions <laughs> reapplying people you know what i'm saying yep. it's like it gets <laughs> it gets confusing right like I, it's something that i can almost fit in my head like just like mentally like i can almost create a mental model of what it would look like but it's just wacky enough that i go like uh, it doesn't so here even we went from like, okay, we described a situation where you have where you're getting a single company resource and you have people and you know all those people belong to that company. And that was like, okay, there's some steps you gotta go through. And then it was like, okay, consider the fact when you get a list of companies right. and you have a included bunch of people that reference the company by ID, they're not nested inside because that's not the way JSON API does it. Right. So that got more complicated, right? And then if you pile onto that, like additional re- additional relationships. Yep. Like in this example where they have people and comments. Right. I think they have people and comments. Yes, they do. They Each do. one of these is like one object, I guess. Yeah, they don't have – it's not a very complicated structure, but it's there are multiple relationships. Yeah. So they have a author, which is a person. So like even comments. this – like ideally it wouldn't it wouldn't look like this instead of having a type key with people you'd have included and then people and then array of people right like the key is people yeah and then included comments and then an array of comments yeah i wish i knew why why that happened like that (laughs) i mean i'm sure because no one has ever tried doing this in like a system where they couldn't just do it all at runtime right like so they say, I don't know if this is, I'm looking at the FAQ here. They say, why are resource collections returned as arrays instead of sets keyed by ID? That's similar to the question. We would say a set keyed by the type right. for the included. Right. right. And their answer for that was a JSON array is naturally ordered while sets require metadata to specify order among the members. I don't know if that's exactly what we're talking about here. It doesn't seem like that's the same thing. Like we could have a key that inside inside has a JSON array. Right. And that could be ordered, so that doesn't that doesn't seem to apply here. That must it must be. I guess that relates to the. Um, what does that relate to? <laughs> Collections returned as arrays instead of sets keyed by ID. Oh, it relates to it relates to how it's um, returned in the 
like actual proper data object. Mm. Like those are arrays rather than sets keyed by IDs, not the included stuff. Mm. Oh, well, sorry. I derailed you. No, it's fine. <laughs> but it's just, you know, so, so the, the big argument, one, one of the funny things was, so like we, we started this project and me and Tony immediately kind of hit this brick wall going like, holy crap, what are we supposed to do with this? You know what I mean? Like started asking questions and being just kind of basically confused because we're just coming at it strictly from a strictly type mm-hmm. language. And all of the Ember people in the office were like, oh, wow. Like, I didn't – this is super easy. It's a super reasonable format because it works really well with Ember. And it's like, yeah, but you don't have, like, a type system. Like, right. you know, there's so, much, there's so many things that we have to deal – and it's been – it's actually been really, really interesting talking, like, having these kind of talks. Like, our dev discussion today was about – did not start off as being around about JSON API, but quickly turned into a conversation about JSON API. Because you were the loudest person in the room? I wasn't even talking. <laughs> okay. I, wasn't, I wasn't even talking. I was prompted. I was asked <laughs> my opinion. Um, but, like, that's the way it's been, like, for two weeks now here is I'm, I walk in a room and two people are sitting around talking about JSON API. And it's bizarre. <laughs> because I think it was I think it was I think people were surprised at how many problems we were having with this because you don't think about those kind of differences between a dynamic language like JavaScript and a strict language like Swift, you know? Yeah. And I was making the point last week about how, like, it's unfortunate that we are discovering this now, right? Because they are at version 1.0 and they even have a statement on their website that says basically, like, we're not going to be breaking anything moving forward. So, like, there's nothing that can really change here. Right. It, yeah, it's unfortunate because it seems like they wrote Ember apps with it. Mm-hmm. And that was it. But, like, I'd love to see numbers on, like, a joke that I made earlier was that most mobile apps are glorified JSON parsers anyway. Like, most mobile apps are just, like, a shiny UI around JSON parsing and then displaying <laughs> the results of that JSON. Right, like yeah. I've written so many apps that all they do is they hit the network, mm-hmm. they get some JSON back, they parse it into objects, and then they show those objects on screen. Right, and that's it. I feel like writing an API spec, a JSON API spec, without considering how easy it's going to be to use that JSON API spec on a mobile device, it's bizarre to me. All right. right, it seems short sighted. I'm I not mean, trying to bash it. Right, right. Like, Understood. I mean, there are implementations, right? So they have. There's two here. You mentioned Spine, JSON API iOS, but these yeah, are... I didn't look at the JSON API iOS, but I think that one's in Objective C, so has all the interop problems. And Spine, Spine is frustrating for a number of reasons because it, it makes you make all the it, that one's in Swift, but it makes you you have to make those concessions that I mentioned earlier. But then it also takes over your it becomes your entire networking stack, right? Mm-hmm. It is how you perform requests in the system, and it's does a lot and i think we're fairly averse to monolithic frameworks on ios right i want tiny frameworks that do one thing very very well argo for example for json parsing is under 400 lines the entire thing mm-hmm. it's under 400 lines i wrote a framework two days ago for function currying in swift that's one file and half of it's commented out because I hit compiler limits. I saw so, that. <laughs> so like, yeah, like compile times got exponential. Like once you're currying a function past 15 arguments, it was like Seemed, it's okay. <laughs> two, it takes like two seconds to compile at 15, six seconds to compile at eight or 18, right? And then 
ten, it was taking 10 seconds to compile by the time it got to 10 or 19, mm-hmm. whatever. But I'm a big fan of like really, really small frameworks that do one thing very, very well. They're easier to reason about. They're, they're more composable. Spine just does everything for you. And that drove me crazy and made me not want to use it. It is interesting. I'm, I'm now taking another look at this implementations page that they have. And like I, I first scrolled it and I was like, wow, there's a lot of implementations. But if you look, it's broken up into client libraries and server libraries. Mm. So client libraries, iOS is JSON API iOS, which is Objective-C, like you said. Spine, which we already discussed and had involves some trade-offs, it sounds like, that aren't worth making for everybody. And then right. Ruby has two, has JSON API consumer and JSON API client, which I haven't used any of those, so I don't know, but I imagine... Based on what we've talked about, Ruby should have no problem with the object structure like right, this. Right, right. But then JavaScript, there's like Ember Data, Backbone JSON API, Backbone Relational JSON API, Orbit JS, JSON, Ember, J- Ember JSON API resources. There's all of those implementations for JavaScript. So it's clear what people had been using in the run-up to this, right? So mm-hmm. like, it does kind of strike me as maybe somebody failed to kind of reach out and be like, <laughs> mobile apps use json apis do you think we could get like a scala implementation or java implementation and a swift (laughs) implementation that people are right happy with like can we reach out to these people and at least have them look and be like if you tried to build a general purpose library for something like this what would the challenges be right Right. and you know maybe they wouldn't know originally they'd have to actually have to use it but maybe some people be able to look at that and be like this is these are the kind of problems i'm thinking about (laughs) that kind of thing all right so let's take a quick break tell you about this week's sponsor uh this week's sponsor is code school Code School is an online learning destination for existing and aspiring developers that teaches through entertaining content. So what does that mean? That means you're going to log on to the website, you're going to see all sorts of courses that you can take. And if you drill into any one of those courses, they're all going to have a very unique theme. They have jingles, which people seem to really enjoy. And you're going to be able to jump right into learning. There's going to be video content. You're going to be able to type directly into the website to execute code and have them tell you whether or not you're right or wrong. All sorts of things like that. We've been talking a little bit about iOS development today. If you're interested in iOS, in getting involved in iOS development, there's an iOS course you can take there. Further, if you get into code school and you start working on some of these courses, if you find yourself on the train maybe with some time to kill or wherever you are with your phone or your iPad, you can pull out the free code school app and jump right into your content there. So like I said, they have courses for everything. They've got JavaScript, Ruby, HTML, CSS, iOS, all sorts of things. If you want to pick up something new, you should head over to Code School. I'm sure they've got something for you. Code School has given us some coupons for one free month to give out to our listeners. So if you're interested in picking up a free month of Code School, leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, you can find a link in our show notes. And we'll pick some people throughout the month and hand out some codes. Thanks again to Code School for sponsoring this episode of The Bike Shed. So what would you do? Like, do you, do you think, forget it, let's go back to... No, I don't I don't think so. I think that I think that a spec is better than no spec, right? Like... One of the things I mentioned earlier to some people as being an obvious benefit of this is like I never have to like I can build a pagination system once right, <laughs> and just reuse that pagination system as opposed to having to build a pagination system for every single API because every single API does it differently, right? right? This one you have that links thing and it's just like, cool, okay, you're giving me the, the next and last URLs to hit for pagination. That's great. Stuff like that is great. I just think that there are just some obvious the side loading thing I don't think we're gonna get around. I think that I think that we on Swift, like we just have to figure out a better way to handle that, right? Um and that's gonna require some work on our end, whether it's for us, whether it's fixing deficiencies in Argo to make it easier to do this kind of stuff, or whether it's 
building a framework on top of Argo. So the Argo is like the inner workings and you just interact with this top level thing. I'm not sure what that would look like and it would be a significant amount of work, especially to make something general. Like we yeah. started making something general for during this project and then we're just like... That's hard to do anyway, right? Yeah. Like hard, it's hard to start. Even if this was going to work out perfectly, it's hard to start general right. and then be like... Yeah. Right. So we, we started making a general thing and then just bailed. And right. just we're like, okay, let's just write very specific things for, you know, each endpoint gets its own parser and don't try to do anything fancy. So the side loading stuff, I think we're going to have to figure out, but it's been a while since I had actually like looked through the spec and the fact that there it's everything included is just intermingled basically. And that we'd have to then get all the JSON and filter by type to split out like people from comments and then decode those and then filter those to apply it to the right post is just like, that's really miserable. And it could be fixed easily by moving that people key mm -hmm. up, right? I wonder, I haven't looked at this at all, so maybe this is totally wrong, but there is a notion of extensions. Okay. And I wonder if we could like write an extension that would do like extending JSON API, right? That would add another key that wasn't included, right? So we wouldn't do... Like the Thoughtbot way of doing this would not be included. It would be like this slightly different thing, which yeah. is like, I don't know, <laughs> iOS Swift compatible side loaded objects yeah, or something. Right. Um, right. That would be, and we would have to like note what trade offs we're making to make this happen, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't know what's available as far as an extension. I mean, you can do whatever you want, right? Like this right. isn't. <laughs> this isn't actually an application. It's just, right. just, it's just an idea. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. There's that. Have you looked at any of the other like how would be like a complete a competing specification? Have you seen that no. one? No. So how is stands for hypertext application language. Searching how JSON is not. Yeah, like you go to it's at stateless.co slash how underscore specification. Yeah. State. So it's a good domain name. <laughs> so it has like similar. It has an underscore links kind of thing. It's a lot more complicated there. Like the data structure is a little more. I don't know, specified inside that links, I guess. And then, like, there is no data key. Like, outside mm. of that underscore links key, everything is just your object. Mm. And then I believe there isn't, they don't sideload resources. They just inline them, like you had mentioned. But I'm not sure. I haven't, that was kind of like, I feel like that was a really hot thing for people to be talking about a year or so ago. And the mm -hmm. JSON API kind of overtook it in popularity anyway. Yeah. JSON API says that basically, they have a thing in their FAQ about why wouldn't you use the HAL specification. And they say HAL embeds child documents recursively. So they don't like that. It's basically what it comes down to. And HAL is a serialization format, but it says nothing about how to update documents. So I don't know, whatever. Um, but it basically sounds like it comes down to embedding the child documents is why JSON API thinks that it's a better implementation than HAL or a better idea than HAL. Yeah. It's also really interesting to me to see, like, you read through the specification and it's like, the JSON API specification, it's like, uh, let me pull up the example here. It says things like clients must do this and the keys, you know, uh, a document must contain at least one of the following top level members, data, error, meta, and data and errors cannot coexist. So there's all these rules around like what can happen, which yeah, is yeah. cool. That's what everybody wanted, right? Right. <laughs> that's what everybody wanted. But that's also a little bit of what everybody threw out. When we moved from yeah. SOAP XML web services yeah, exactly. to JSON APIs, <laughs> right. right? Like SOAP, everybody hated, like when we threw out SOAP, we threw out XML mm -hmm. because it was associated with SOAP. <laughs> right. And SOAP was terrible because there was a lot of ceremony involved in like just setting up a friggin' request. Right. 
and XML, I also had terrible feelings towards because it was associated with soap. So I was like, great, we're out of this. Right. But now we're back to this thing where like we want to describe these documents. So right. we want these things to have a schema. And right. guess what has schemas? XML has schemas. Right. And like there were all these arguments before about how JSON is smaller than XML, which right. is kind of true, I guess, but not if you're going to put all this ceremony around it, like around the structuring of the document. Like at that point, XML could help you a lot there mm-hmm. as well. I'm not advocating for going back to XML because I think JSON is, you know, it's, it's done. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting to see that we threw out, we kind of, it's, it's the classic throwing the baby out with the bathwater kind of thing. Like we threw out all this structure and now there's these attempts with JSON API, how uh, JSON schemas is a way to like specify, is a way to describe your, right. um, your representation of your JSON. Which again, in the in the FAQ for JSON API, they say like some the FAQ is like, is there a JSON schema document available that describes this? And they're like, no, it can't be described with JSON schema currently. Right. So it's unfortunate as well if they're like trying to describe a schema that can't be described with the other project that's trying to make schemas for JSON. So what is, what does JSON schema do? So JSON schema um, describes your JSON data format. Oh, and JSON hyper schema. <laughs> yeah. Sounds better. <laughs> hyper schema? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you put hyper and turbo in front of things and right. you're in good shape. But basically it just says like, you have to have one of these. This is a, this is a string. This is, uh, this is an integer. The minimum value is zero. The maximum value is this. See, I like, like that a lot more. Right. I mean, conceivably they could live together, but for whatever reason, there's some complications in JSON API that cannot be described by what's available in JSON. I think I know why. <laughs> you have things like like those data keys... There's no telling what kind of type is back there. <laughs> like you access the data key, like even in this, in this, this is one of the things that drives me crazy about the JSON API thing is it took me two seconds to look at this and go, this is barely a spec. Like you're just telling me that there's a data key, but right here, well, you know, I have this one data key and now it's a, it's an array of dictionaries. But then immediately later, there's a data key that's a single dictionary. And then there's a data key below that's, again, an array of dictionaries. And that's important because of the types we're talking it's about, right? It's like, so like, important. Data should be one thing. It yeah. should be an array or it should be an object. Yep. And that's it. Like, give me one type back. Don't yep. give me, like, well, I don't know. Maybe it's an object. Maybe it's an array. Right, yeah. Like, <laughs> and I'd be willing to bet that that's the kind of stuff that that JSON API does that means that they can't be represented by a JSON schema. Because if you wrote that with a schema you'd have to give it a type, right? Mm-hmm. Certainly seems like it based on <laughs> the example. I've used JSON schema a little bit, but it was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I've never. It was a few years ago, so it's been kicking around for a while. But that kind of that kind of thing drove me crazy, right? Because the, sec- the first thing I think is like, okay, all this other stuff I can deal with. At least there's a schema, so like I'll know what types are coming back, or at least there's a spec, so that like I know that when I access this thing, I get this type back, and that'll be good. But then like immediately there's this mismatch between arrays of dictionaries and just dictionaries and it's like there's nothing different here as far as i can see in terms of why one like how would you know that one has you just have to know you just have to know based on the endpoint okay i'm requesting this so in this case data is an array and in this case data is a dictionary right it's frustrating so you you were saying basically you're just gonna have to keep plugging away at this do you think yeah so like the, the, the place where this is really a problem is where we're developing an API that we expect to write a web app off of, and we're going to use something like Ember, which has great support for something like this. Mm-hmm. So developers on, on that end are going to be like, great, let's agree. We're going to use JSON API. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. We're going to go off. And then they're like, well, we want an, we want an iOS app, and we want to use the same API we built before. Mm-hmm. 
So now you're going to have to bang your head against this thing, try and play some games with what's allowed to be sideloaded, maybe ignore the sideloaded stuff. I have no idea. But Yeah, that was a thought. Do you think it's reasonable, like on a higher level than this, do you think it's reasonable to reuse the same API that you're using for like a desktop web application for a native mobile app? Right. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think that part, I mean, part of the reason I'm saying I don't know is because I really don't have a super firm grasp on exactly what it takes to implement multiple API endpoints in Rails, for example. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I have a basic idea, but not like a real clear You cut. mean like a different thing for like mobile apps when you request this you get that and yeah so. i'm assuming it'd be like a different like a different namespace you could use like a different url you could use something in a different url or you could even use a header right right, right just say right, like accepts right or version yeah or right so i'm not i'm not entirely sure what it takes to actually set that stuff up but i imagine it takes like multiple serializers which seems annoying on your end yeah there's lots of annoyances but like yeah. in my limited experience with people who are like oh we've got this one api to rule them all mm-hmm. it's that like some Whoever was the consumer first got it built the way they <laughs> yeah, wanted it built. That's this, and then right, that's <laughs> this is, we're describing yeah. JSON API again. right because Ember was like, yeah, that's great, and then JSON API just became an Ember API, <laughs> and, and, you know, the rest of us. So like, I so then like you know, you come along with a mobile app, and you're like, well, I need these, I need this to be different. You're like, well, I don't want right. to break the desktop app, so all right, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna version this thing, right. or I'm gonna namespace this thing, and I'm gonna return right. something different. And I think that just happens all of the time. So it's interesting. I would love it if it didn't happen, but and like there are just different requirements too of a mobile device, like especially one not connected to LTE or something like yeah. that. You're gonna have like more, a lot more latency. Well, LTE mm-hmm. even has a lot of latency. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a better speed, but there's just different requirements. I think. Yeah. Different data, necess- like not necessarily, but can be different data. You might want less data on the mobile mobile device just yeah. because of bandwidth and latency concerns. And but it also mean duplicating all of your documentation and there's stuff to automate that and whatever. But now yeah. you're maintaining two of those, yeah. and I, it just I think I feel like it becomes a nightmare, right? Yeah, I haven't seen it go smoothly yet. I guess is what I'm supposed to say. I'm, I want to say multiple APIs yeah. or single APIs. I, I haven't Either. seen a single API reused. Right. across multiple clients that are had different in nature, right? Not like, oh, I built this web front end and I built this other web front end, but like some sort of different use case. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that go particularly well. And I haven't seen, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, it must go well for like companies whose business is providing an API, right? Like GitHub, I don't know, GitHub and Stripe or whatever. I, mean, I guess that's not their business, but yeah. Right. I, I, I always tend to point to GitHub as being like a fairly well-structured right. API. Okay, well. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think it'd be an interesting experiment. On both of our sides, right? Like, can ha- well, I mean, really, you'd end up being on the web side more than the client side, right? But like, it'd be an interesting experiment to see like how much overhead is there really in maintaining two different APIs. Right. right? I mean, I guess I guess like, an interesting first thing would be like if, and I as an iOS developer, you had the ability to say like, this is exactly how I want the API structured so that my tools can handle it well. Yeah. Like, what would that look like, right? So maybe that would be a good step to say, like, this is what I would like back for something yeah, yeah. like this. And then we can kind of intermediate between the two and be like, well, yeah. okay, I mean, we can still use JSON API and get some of this if we ignore these features. Or we don't, right. we're not going to use JSON API. We're going to do this. We're going to build, like, I don't know how easy it is to build or how difficult it is to build an adapter for Ember. But maybe we just, mm-hmm. like, we're going to use this thing. Mm-hmm. And we have our own <laughs> we have our own JSON API. <laughs> right. Um or, right. or you whatever. Just write a new spec. <laughs> yeah, we'll write a new spec. Who cares? Uh, if we think the spec isn't that great, then I don't know what else to do. It's unfortunate that we're we just coming to this like now and not you know before 1.0. But you can't. I always feel like dog I heard everything. about it. 
Yeah, I definitely heard about it before, but I didn't pay any attention to it, and we never used it on right. any apps or right. <laughs> anything. Well, because you would hear, like, I would, I would hear like things like, "Oh, JSON API, how? Eh, they're kind of, they're still all up in the air. Who wants to use? Yeah. Like, don't use those things yet. We're uncertain about how they're gonna like change. They might right. not be compatible going forward, or right. And then so you don't, and then this happens where things are baked, and you're like, "Well, I don't like the way this <laughs> right. came out." I think we actually did use JSON API on my last major client app, but all the networking stuff was done before we got there and it was not the way like I would have written it. And it turns out that it wasn't the way I would have written it because they were working around all this JSON API stuff right. I found out later. Now is an explanation. Right, right, right. <laughs> but at the time, I was just like, oh, this is weird. Why is this working this way? I wish it wouldn't. Um, yeah. I wanted to also talk about the... Like I, I really feel like iOS development's in an interesting spot because you had Objective C for a really long time, mm-hmm. which, as we've described, is very different than Swift, which we have now. Mm-hmm. So now we have Swift, and the iOS team at Thoughtbot mm-hmm. um, is jumping on the Swift bandwagon, right? So yeah. you're embracing Swift wholeheartedly, writing these, and, and also like on the functional side of Swift, yeah, right? And so much. that's what I, I think is really interesting to watch. What's happening is like there's a captive audience that now needs to consider Swift Mm -hmm. and likely realizes that they're going to need to move to Swift. Like Mm -hmm. Apple's not going to maintain these two things indefinitely at some point on an infinite time scale, (laughs) like (laughs) things will move more towards Swift. Right. Yeah. So like, it's going to be the kind of thing that you're just going to have to consider. So there's, like I said, this captive audience where you need to need to decide like, well, am I going to be the type of person who writes Swift apps or objective C apps? And then, how am I going to write Swift, right? Because it can be written yep. in a more straightforward, like I say straightforward, more like comfortable fashion for people coming from Objective-C. Mm-hmm. But then there's people who are really excited about the functional and strongly typed aspects of it that really yep. want to fully embrace all that stuff. Us, yeah. Right. <laughs> and I see lots of stuff going back and forth, like, look at these, look at this functional stuff. <laughs> yeah. Get this crap yeah. out of my, uh, I don't want this stuff coming to iOS, right? Yeah. So how, like... I don't know. I just wanted to say that I think that's really interesting. How's your ex- <laughs> sure. how's your experience with that then? Uh, it's weird. Um, <laughs> it's been weird. There's very there is absolutely like two camps right now. There's actually a fairly large contingent of people that are just ignoring Swift, right? Fairly completely, and are just like not interested in Swift and not planning on learning Swift, and are just like you know, it's still without using it. It's still buggy. It's still in flux, you know, kind of making these assumptions about the quality of the language and the the state of the language. Well, jumping straight to 2.0 so quickly, I think, kind of, like, made some of them feel good about that decision, I think. Probably, Probably. yeah. I mean, there have been two major – when 2.0 comes out, it'll be the second major source-breaking change in the past 12 months. Right. So there's that, right? Like <laughs> when we moved, you know, it was like 1.0 and then the upgrade to 1.1, it was all source compatible. It was fine. 2.0, we had, or sorry, 1.2, we had to change a lot about the language. Like they changed a lot about the language. Weird little things, right? Like adding punctuation where sometimes there hadn't been punctuation, changing where keywords go and some specific things, adding some keywords, removing some keywords, that kind of stuff. And then 2.0 is kind of that same thing. Some new, I don't think they added any real types, but like added different patterns and changed some functions around. Throws. Yeah, they added all the error handling stuff, which I still have very mixed feelings about. Mm-hmm. So like there's absolutely, I don't, I never fault anyone for not doing Swift right now because it hasn't been 
super awesome <laughs> being a Swift developer, right? The tooling is horrible. There was a point where uh, my last big client had a non-trivial test suite, but it wasn't gigantic. It wasn't a overwhelming test suite, but it was it was a fair, fairly decent sized test suite. And there was a point where they updated Xcode, and the second it came out, our builds for testing jumped from it took like two minutes from a clean build took like two minutes to just build and run the tests Mm -hmm. which is long but reasonable it jumped from two minutes to 40 minutes so (laughs) it's like 40 minutes to run the test it's like cool we just aren't going to run tests anymore like that's (laughs) that's what's going to happen right we actually added a different test bundle that was called like fast specs where you didn't add you never linked anything into the test bundle except for the one spec file that you were actually actively working on Mm -hmm. and once you added that one then you just ran those tests and didn't run any others and that brought it down to like two or three minutes right (laughs) still slower than running the whole uh, whole it was it was horrible they absolutely like apple broke xcode and it took weeks Mm -hmm. to get a fix out so it was just it was kind of miserable Compile times in general are much, much longer than they were in Objective-C. Performance took a long time to get up to the point, like Swift performance. Like They've been doing compiler optimizations and stuff, but for a long time it was much, much slower than Objective-C was. So now it's getting to the point where it's as fast or faster than Objective-C when it's optimized and everything. But Yeah, I don't know. There's, the, there's, there's multiple tiers to this, right? There's the people that don't, like you said, there's like the people that don't, Get the FP out of my iOS. <laughs> that's that's interesting. But there's people that don't want anything to do with Swift, right? Yeah. They say that looks like JavaScript. I don't want to touch it, right? <laughs> and then there's and then there's people that jump from Objective C to Swift, and all they do is they just write Objective C with Swift syntax, right? Like mm-hmm. it's the exact. You go like these are the same file. You just changed. You just got rid of square <laughs> brackets and added, you know, uh, parentheses. Basically, is mm-hmm. what they did. Uh, it's kind of like machine translation, right? Like that's what I've been referring to that as, like machine translation from Objective-C to Swift. There's actually a middle tier now where people are using Swift as the language. Like they're using the language features and they're pushing ahead and that's great. But they're not going as far with like generics and the type system as mm-hmm. we are. So then we're like way, way, way right. hard right like, <laughs> uh, with pushing functional stuff as much as possible and like just ripping off every idea we can possibly rip off from Haskell. <laughs> um, that's where like Argo comes from. That's where runes comes from. That's where this curry framework comes from. Like all that stuff is just like, we just want to make this f- as functional as possible. I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see where the language goes. And like I said, cause people like that you have to write it. I mean, you don't, yeah. as you said, there's people no, who don't, but yeah. like, okay, now you can choose between two languages, right? If right. I'm going to write something for the web, I can choose like a, a, million, a million languages, yeah. mm-hmm. right? But now like Apple comes out with a new language and there's a built-in audience that's going to pay attention to it. Yeah. It's kind of like Microsoft coming out with a new language only like if, 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 if we're talking about Microsoft of like 10 years ago, yeah. right? <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh, C Sharp's out. I'm going to learn C Sharp now. Right? right. That was kind of the poll that they had back then. Yeah. Um, and now Apple kind of has that same pull over the subset of developers that develop for its platform, which is quite a bit of them. So. Yeah. I feel like the sweet spot is probably just shy of the pure functional stuff, which honestly for us is much more playground. And like like when we do really crazy functional stuff, like the test suite for runes mm-hmm. is all of the f- 
laws for functors, applicatives, and monads mm-hmm. implemented as test suites. <laughs> so it's like that was just it's completely unreadable. Like I barely know what's going on in there, and I wrote all of that. Like I I, I barely understand those. Like that's too far <laughs> like, <laughs> by a lot, and that's just playground stuff for us. Right. We think Argo is the right way to do JSON parsing. We right. think that that pattern lends itself well to JSON parsing, but we don't. I think that like we pull back from that brink and try to use Swift for Swift and try like when we're actually doing like production apps and try not to make it Haskell. Although I'd love to just write Haskell in web app and iOS apps. That'd be my ideal. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I don't know. Good luck. your question? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't really a question, so <laughs> you did a good job. <laughs> sure. I declared. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's wrap up. Cool. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 25. Do I need to do a thing? Yeah, go ahead. Why what's, not? What's the thing? You've done this. I don't know. I've never done that side of it. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, uh, ratings and reviews, reviews yeah. are welcome on iTunes. Yeah. Do you do email stuff too? <laughs> I'll handle that. Okay. Go for it. <laughs> if you want to get back, get, get in touch with us about this episode or any other episodes, you can email us at hosts at bikeshed.fm or tweet us at underscore bikeshed. <laughs> this is good. This is a good outro. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Bike Shed. Sean will be back next week. <laughs> Cut. Print. Fix it automatically for you. All right. And that's where the game actually starts. Because then you buy these cursors and they click the cookie for you, which gives you more cookies. And then you buy more (laughs) cursors to click it faster. And then you can, like, increase the cursor speed. And then you can buy, like, cookie factories and, like, cookie farms and, like, different things. You can, like, build up this whole thing until you get, like, these grandmas. And then at some point, like... You get enough. Wait, grandmothers? Yeah, yeah. They okay. cook a bunch of cookies. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then at the end, it, like at some point, at some point, you get enough cookies and you've leveled enough stuff up that the grandmas start revolting, and they like end up like you. What do they do? They like turn into some weird. They start like mutating and <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> this is a fun game. I mean, is this better or worse than the cat game? I've never played the cat game. Oh, all right. Um, I've never played the cat game. But no, this... So Swarm Sim is, like, the same gist, right? Like, I build I build drones, mm-hmm. and drones produce meat, right? Of course, that's what they do. And then, then once I have enough drones, I can start hatching queens from those drones, and then the queens produce drones, which produce meat, right? So it goes mm-hmm. all the way up the chain, and you can do all these things, and then you start creating other things that, like, get you territory, which then create more larvae. It's like this whole thing. I've been, <laughs> I'm so pissed at Tony. I, Tony sent me this link two months ago, I think, and it's been, like, nonstop since then. Real bad. I've never. I've. I've. I've yet to find an iOS game that I can play. Oh no, this than... is on the web. Oh, this is a web game. Yeah, oh, yeah. And fantastic, I guess. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> yeah.